Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Thank you for joining us again today on the program and welcome back. Uh, grab your Bible, get another cup of coffee, sit down and join me today as we dig into the depths of the Word of God. We have been sharing now for uh, probably a hundred and some programs on the book of Revelation. We've now come to chapter 21, 22. We're going to deal with them extensively as we, I'm excited about these because they're so powerful to me and uh, not just because of what is in our future but what is available to us right now. Uh, if you've missed any of the programs, please go back and watch on YouTube. We have archived them there for your convenience because like I said, we have aired a hundred and some programs, so we have laid a lot of groundwork for you to be able to do this. We encourage you, if you want to, to use them if you're a pastor in your Wednesday night prayer meetings or in your cell groups to talk about the things uh, that deal with the book of Revelation. And uh, I think it gives you a format to begin to discuss. We don't ask you to agree with everything like we do. We simply introduce what we believe the Lord said to us, and then you have the human prerogative to eat the grapes and spit out the seeds. Let's get back in the Word today. We've already shared two uh, two programs on Revelation 21, so I don't want to rehearse too much. But Revelation 21 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There was no more sea. Now, I shared with you in the last segment especially how that the new heaven and the new earth have to do with the new creation. And I shared how that Adam uh, was the first fruit, and in the first fruit God created the heavens and the earth, He was both human and divine, but we come over into the New Testament and Jesus is uh, again the firstborn of a brand new creation, creation if you will, and uh, He was both human and divine. Heaven and earth were uh, connected in the person of a man. He was the connecting point. We also showed you how that God said in Isaiah, I believe it is 54, I lay uh, the heavens, uh, or, 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 I, uh, I forget exactly, um, the word together. Let me see here. I've got it. It says, "I." Uh, it says that I, I may that he, that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundation of the earth and say to Zion, "You are my people." That was in Isaiah fifty-one, verse thirteen through sixteen. So when he's talking about laying the heavens or, or planting the heavens and laying the foundation of the earth, it was when he came across the Red Sea. In the moment they crossed the Red Sea, God gave them. The, the law of Moses. The people became a covenant people based on the law of Moses. It was immediately after they crossed the Red Sea. God said, I lay the heavens, or I, I plant the heavens and lay the foundation of the earth. And so it was this covenant that God made with the Israelites the moment they crossed the Red Sea when He says, that's when I uh, laid the heavens, or I planted the heavens, I'm sorry, and laid the foundations of the earth. In the New Covenant, uh, when God lays, uh, when He plants the heavens and lays the foundations of the earth, it's because He's brought forth a new Israel of God, a new people of God. Now let me say this to you because people get upset about it. I'm not saying God excluded old Israel. I'm just telling you that the only way into the covenants of promise is not through your natural birth, but it's through your new birth. I don't care if you're a Jew, Gentile, Greek, bond, whatever. There's only one way in to the promises of God, and that's through Jesus Christ. He's the only way. This stuff about there's multiple ways to God is foolishness. There is no other name given under heaven whereby men must be saved but at the name of Jesus. And interestingly enough, when God planted the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, that was His covenant people 
That was His chosen people. He did it after they crossed the Red Sea. In Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and there was no more sea. Once again, God's people had crossed over, if you will, the Red Sea out of the bondage of this time, Egyptian slavery, but Egyptian slavery, as I've showed you in times past, is not just dealing with what we call worldly, but Revelation 11, 8 says, Our Lord was crucified in the city which was spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. So it was this, uh, this Sodom and Egypt was not where our Lord was physically crucified. Our Lord was crucified in Jerusalem. But the Holy Spirit makes a connection to the old Jerusalem, the old covenant people, and the old covenant, and even their tabernacle and their temple. Because I showed you last week out of the writings of Josephus that the centerpiece of their covenant was their temple. But Josephus began to describe it as the gate being the veil that was over the most holy place as being to them the gate of heaven. It was Bethel, and the court that was without was purple, which, uh, which alluded to the earth, and then the brazen labor, which was the sea, and that was the centerpiece piece of their covenant. And so when the centerpiece of their covenant was destroyed in 70 AD, when the Romans came and burnt this city to the ground, an old temple passed off the scene and a new tabernacle passed on the scene. And we read it to you from the Message Bible where it says, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. In other words, an old tabernacle passed, a new one came on the scene. And the, when the passing of that tabernacle, uh, that, that what they considered to be their, their place where heaven and earth met, is no longer the place where heaven and earth meets. I think it's interesting that Jesus says to the woman at Samaria at the well, He says, your people, or she says to Him, uh, your people say we need to worship in Jerusalem. And ours say we need to worship in Samaria. And Jesus said, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers are going to worship Him in spirit and truth. So the location is not the point. The point is God has always had a desire since He lost relationship and fellowship with the first Adam. God has always had the desire, let them build me a house so that I can dwell among them. And you know the story, the trail of the whole covenant experience of Israel, how that God told them, they pitched an old flapping tent in the wilderness. God dwelled in the most holy place. David pitched an old flapping tent for him and brought the mercy seat back. Uh, uh, they, they restored a temple, or Solomon built him a temple. Then Nehemiah and Ezra rebuilt one, and then Herod built one. And uh, then he, you, you see in the Scripture where God would say to them in Isaiah, but where's the house you would build for me? Seeing the heavens are my throne and the earth is my footstool. I'm not interested in an old flapping tent. I'm not interested in mortar and stones and stuff that you make natural buildings. But to this man will I look. God was always looking for a man to dwell in. Jesus was the first one on the scene. And you know, here's something powerful. I've said this all over the world. People don't crucify you for what you say. They crucify you for what they think you said. Because if you're talking in the spirit and they're hearing in the natural, they're going to misunderstand you. And so Jesus looks at them in front of all these beautiful buildings of the temple and says to them, destroy this temple in three days, I'm going to raise it back up. And he wasn't talking about that physical temple, he was talking about the temple of his body, because what, know you not, in the new covenant, God moves out of the physical buildings, and he moves into people who become the temple of God. Then we see him expand that, because what, know you not, that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, and his corporate many-membered body is the new temple of God, so that if God lives and dwells inside of you, you are Bethel, you are the gate, if you will, of heaven, and you are the place where heaven and earth meet. The human and the divine come together 
in the new creation so that I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And so we're seeing that God finally realizes His dream in Revelation 21 of let them build me a house when He says, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. He's made His home with men. That's so powerful to me. If we could wrap our head around that, if we just understood what it really means, Emmanuel, God is with us. I don't think it's an accident that in, in uh, John chapter 14, well, let me just let me, let, let me turn over there real quickly. I think I could do this. Uh, I think I could do it quickly. I don't know if I can do it quickly or not, but we've we got plenty of time. If we don't, we'll just do another program. But John 14 is right on the heels of Jesus telling His disciples, I'm about to be delivered in the hands of evil men. And Peter's like there, Lord, I'm, I'm going to fight with you. I'll fight with you to the death. And uh, Jesus looks at Pete and He says to him, listen, man, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. That's the last few words of John 13. Now we remember in the Scriptures there is no division in chapters that was added by the translators. So what's the setting? What's the backdrop? Peter, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows three times. And then John 14 opens by, let not your heart be troubled. Can you hear it in this context? Pete, you failed me. You're going to fail me because you don't have an indwelling Holy Spirit in me. Where I'm going, you can't come right now, but you're going to come where I'm going. But right now you can't do it, and I know, I know you mean well, because you're right now ready to fight. But Pete, before the rooster crows, you're going to fail me. You're going to, fail, you're going to deny me three times. And you know, we preach that the rooster crows to rat Peter out, to bring condemnation, say, see there, Jesus was right. No, the rooster always crows to announce a new day. Can I tell you, there's a rooster crowing today, and that rooster is telling you, you couldn't do it under an old covenant day. But that old day has passed away, and a new day has come on the scene where it dwells, and in dwelling Holy Spirit, what you could not do under the old covenant, you can now do in the new covenant. And so he goes on to say uh, in verse, uh, let not your heart be troubled. So the context is, Pete, Listen, man, I know you think you mean well, and I know you think you can do this, but you're going to fail. But let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am. The key word in this whole passage is that where I am. If you don't remember nothing else, circle I am because it will answer every question that we have here. He says that where I am, there you may be also. The question would be, where is he? That where I am, you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. Where, whether, how can we know the way? Jesus said that unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it suffices us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? But he saith, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou that, watch this, believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? Now remember, this scripture, Jesus said that where I am, you may be also. Where is he? I am, verse 16, in the Father, and the Father is in me. Where are you going to take us, Lord? I'm going to take you in the Father, and the Father is going to be in you. We have preached this as being where we go when we go to heaven. Now, I'm not taking anything from heaven, but I want you to see there's something way more powerful 
than just God building you a mansion somewhere over on a planet three miles south of Mars, and as soon as it's finished, He's going to come get you. What's amazing to me is God created the universe in six days with the, just the word of His mouth, and it's taken Him 2,000 years to build you a house. See, we, we think it in wrong terms because, first of all, we're thinking about this mansion being where I'm going to live at. But if you go over on in, later into this chapter, we're going to see, He says, I and my Father we will come and we will make our abode in you. The word abode there in this 14th chapter of Revelation is the same Greek word that we translate mansion in the verse that I read, in my Father's house are many mansions. Could literally be translated abodes, but let's say, stay with the word mansion. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I'd have told you. And then he uses this same Greek word, it's the only other place I believe in the Scripture where the same Greek word is used, is in John 14 where he says, I and my Father, we will come and take up our abode in you. It could literally be translated, if they stayed consistent to how they translated it, they would say, I and my Father, we will come and make our mansion in you. And so while we're thinking about God building us a house, he's interested in building himself a house because the tabernacle of Revelation 21 is, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. Hallelujah. He's our God. We're His people. Jesus said, what I came to do was bring you to the same place that I am, and I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or He said, or else believe me for the work's sake. Verily I say to you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also greater works than these shall I do, because I go to my Father, and whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you go back to chapter 13, the commandment He says there is, here's a new commandment, not an old one, a new one, that you love one another. So if you love Him, you'll keep my commandments. What commandments? To love Him. And I will pray the Father, it says, if you love me, keep my commandments, I'll pray the Father, and He will give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever. See, the whole point of the new covenant is the indwelling Holy Spirit. He says, I will not leave you, let me read on down, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and shall be in you." Man, what a powerful, powerful truth. He says this in verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. The word comfortless here is the Greek word orphans. Hallelujah. Man, I won't leave you orphans. See, we, we've got an orphan mentality in the American church, and what we've done is create churches that have become uh, foster care or orphanages. Rather than develop sons, we're developing uh, we're developing servants and slaves, but the whole point of the new covenant, Jesus said, I came to take you that where I'm at, you could be also. Where is He? He's in the Father, the Father is in Him, and He's in the Father, and He's in a place of sonship. I'm coming to bring you to the Father. I won't leave you to be orphans. I need to slow down, man, I get going like a freight train here. He said, yet a little while the world sees me no more, but you see me, because I live, you shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. See, again, remember the words, I am, that where I am. I am, where am I? I am in the Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. That's where I came. If I don't go away, that's not going to happen. He's not going to take up His abode within us and give us the Holy Spirit where we can do even greater works than He did. Man, as we see this thing unfold in Revelation 21 and chapter 22, we're going to realize, man, that there is a river that flows out of the city. There is a tree of life that will heal the nations. We're going to see that the purpose of God bringing sons is to continue 
to bring creation into a glorious liberty of this sonship. If you remember, I read to you, I believe it is the first verse of Revelation, or I'm sorry, the fifth verse of Revelation 21 says, To him that overcometh, he'll be my son, and I'll be his God, and they'll be my people. I'm telling you, that's what he's talking about here in Revelation 21 and in John 14. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my son, and these sons are going to do greater works than these will you do because I go to the Father and I'm going to give you the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, and that stuff is going to flow powerfully through a bunch of sons to touch His creation. He goes on to say, In that day you shall know that I am in my Father, and you're in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. He that loveth me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, Not a scary Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. Watch this. And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. This word abode here is the same Greek word we translate mansion in John 14, the verses above this. I believe it's the only other place in the Scripture where this word abode is used. Maybe we've had it backwards. Maybe the house that God is building is not for us to move there to Him to live, for us to live there, but Him to come and take up His abode and live in us. We're the mansion. We're, 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 we're what gives the omnipresent God a local address. I almost want to look out and say to people, what part of Emmanuel don't you understand? You know, it's so tragic to me that so many times we sing and we worship as if God is somewhere out on a distant planet, and if we yell loud enough, we beat ourselves enough, we repent enough, we holler enough, we do something enough, sing the right song, God will show up and walk in the room. And we sing to Him like He's not even in the room. And I see Him standing there literally waving, going, Hey, yo, I'm here. What part of Emmanuel don't you understand? I'll never leave you or forsake you. Now, glory may manifest when we gather together. The manifest presence of God but he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will not leave you orphans. Me and my Father are going to move into you. That's, I'm telling you, what Revelation 21 is about. Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, and him that overcomes will be my son. I'll be his people. He that loveth me, he goes on to say, let me just finish this. Keep, that loveth me, keep without my sayings in the word which he you hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, yet being present yet uh, with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. Shalom, peace. Remember, the new Jerusalem, the word Jerusalem, is the city of peace. Ah, what more peace could you give us than to bring us into the Father, the Father into us, make us a new creature, a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth, a new tabernacle, a new temple. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Hallelujah. God has moved in the neighborhood. Man, that is so powerful. You heard, heard it said, I go away and come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I go to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it come to pass that when it is come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter I will not talk with you, for the prince of the world cometh and hath nothing in me but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do arise, let us go hence. I think that's just incredible, man. I think that's some pretty good stuff there. Uh, so we see a new tabernacle. We see a new temple. We see uh, a new heaven and a new earth. 
God has moved into the neighborhood. I always say it when I preach it like this, and I have some friends that wrote a song actually uh, concerning this. I always tell people when I preach, slap your neighbor and tell them property values just went up. Because when God moves in the neighborhood, He starts a major renovation program. See, it's not just that God moves in. What's going to happen is that from this city is going to flow all kinds of things. See, if this if this city is somewhere on a planet three miles south of ours, if he's talking about heaven, how is it that when we later get into the book of Revelation, he says, outside the city are dogs and whoremongers and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. There must be somebody outside the city. How is it that he says the leaves of this tree are for the healing of the nations? There must be some nations that need healing. There must be a need for a river to flow to a creation who still needs something. Much like Eden's misty garden, there was a man in the middle of this paradise of God, in the middle of God's garden. And we see in Genesis, it starts with a garden. In Revelation 22, it ends with a garden and a river. In the Genesis, it's a garden and a river. In Genesis, a river runs through it. In Revelation, a river runs through it. Jesus grabs this and says, Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. The nations need what's in God's sons. Outside the city are dogs and whoremongers, whoever makes a lie. He gives, you know, the final words he gives even in the book of Revelation are, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. There's an invitation to humanity to come and drink of the water of life freely. Uh, hallelujah. When, when that, that invitation is there. And he goes on to say uh, to me, in other words, you, you just see that this is not some planet three miles south of Mars, but it is, it is, if you will, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the city. We're going to talk about the city, the new city probably in the next segment, but I don't have time to really do it justice. So we're going to finish this one up by talking about God's moved in the neighborhood. There's a new tabernacle. What know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? And Revelation, or not Revelation, I keep saying Revelation, but Hebrews 12, he tells them, For you have not come to the mount that might be touched. You did not come to fear and trembling. You did not come to a God who says, Stay away. You did not come to a God who said, If you touch the edge of this mountain, you'll be thrust through with the dark to the smoke and smells. What he's talking about here, there in Hebrews 12, that mountain that they were exceedingly fearful and quake is Mount Zion where the law was given. But he tells them, you did not come to that mountain, but you have come to Mount Zion, and you have already come to the city of the living God. What's the contrast? The old one was the old covenant, and the new one is the new covenant. In other words, Mount Sinai, old covenant. But you've come to Mount Zion, new covenant. Hallelujah. It's coming down out of heaven. It's coming down from the realm of God. It's the kingdom. Heaven is invading the earth in a powerful way as God's sons begin to operate in what they've been called to operate in. And, but the thing that really caught my attention in Hebrews 12, it says, you've not come to the mount that can be touched. And the whole book of Hebrews is about transitioning from the touchable, tangible, feels, sights, smells. It was written to Hebrews who were moving from an old covenant, crossing over from an old covenant into a new covenant paradigm. They were 30-some years into the new covenant, and Paul is writing to these Hebrews, and he's telling them, this is no longer a physical lamb that you've got to sacrifice. It's no longer the burning of candles. It's no longer the burning of incense. It's no longer the pomp and ceremony of the Levitical priests as they would approach the altars. It's no longer the tabernacle or the temple that the Levites worked in, but there's a better tabernacle. And all through the scriptures, there's a better priesthood. There's better sacrifices. There's better blood. There's better promises. There's a better temple. There's a better covenant. Everything about it is better 
But see, these Hebrews were wanting to go back to the tangibleness of the smell and the smoke and the pomp and the ceremony of what they could touch, feel, handle, smell. I'm concerned that we're that same way in the church in America today. We're looking for the tangible rather than the realm of the Spirit. And so we're still looking for buildings and sacrifices and the smell of smoke and the tangibleness of the pomp and ceremony of what they were used to for 1,500 years. And Paul was warning these Hebrews not to go back because you've moved into something that's not touchable in that dimension any longer. But you have come to a place where it's a, a, it's a spiritual house. It's a spiritual Jerusalem. It's a new bride. It's a new tabernacle. It's a new heaven. It's a new earth. Everything about this screams new covenant. And you can put this off if you want to, to some glad morning when we go to heaven. But what he's trying to do is say, listen, man, I'm not taking heaven from you. I'm just trying to tell you everything you thought you were waiting on. You can have it as it begins to invade this earth. Hallelujah. You're a city set on a hill. Hallelujah. You have come. You are built on the, it, even the, the city itself later as we get into it, it's going to talk about the 12 foundations were the 12 apostles. We are built, the community of faith, the household of God, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being chief cornerstone. I think that's incredible. And I think that's powerful. He's making all things new. Everything was shifting from the old to the new. God was about to wipe all tears off of all faces. We're going to deal with that in the next segment. And, uh, but, but there was a new heaven. Do you see it? Again, John the Revelator saying, come and see. Come and see. You know, only the Spirit can give you revelation. I, I, I could teach till the cows come home. And probably what we're dealing with more than anything else is people trying to work through an old paradigm. And it's very difficult to unlearn so that you can learn some other things. But come and see. The Spirit of the Lord is saying, come and see. And I trust that at some point in your life you're going to say, and I saw, and I saw, I saw a new creation. Uh, and and, and that's, that's the purpose of us teaching this, is to see this new heaven, this new earth, and then to move into it and to enjoy what all it has to offer. I'm in the Father. The Father's in me. They've come. They've taken up their abode so that greater works than these shall you do. You could touch creation. You're called to it. We're about to run out of time. Thank you so much for joining us. Take a moment, if you would, to call that number on the screen. And if you believe in what we're doing, don't sit on the sidelines. Get involved. We need your help. And uh, as we build the partner base, we're going to expand what we're doing. We're so thankful for those of you who are supporting our ministry. It is what enables us to do what we're doing. If you believe in it, get behind it. Uh, call the number on the screen. If you need prayer, there's somebody standing by to take your call. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.